I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle here. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. Today we have on as a guest, Sean Kirk, physical therapist and former practice owner and also a private practice consultant across the US and Canada over the last 20 years. And he now is offering coaching and consulting and advising and much, much more via PT Practice Success. And that's ptpracticesuccess.com. And today's episode, we're going to be covering the title, Why Pancaking Care is Painful on Your Wallet. Before we get into that, Sean Kirk, welcome on. How are we doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I've been enjoying, like I said in the pre-interview, I've been enjoying your LinkedIn videos and your content. And you and I had not connected before, but I, I feel like I see you everywhere and just wanted to reach out and get you on here. Good. Well, thanks for having me. You know, you, you, you'd like to know that people see your stuff once in a while. So that's, I'm glad you did. Absolutely. So before we get into why pancaking care is painful on your wallet as a private practice owner, can we go into your backstory a little bit? Like what got you here in yeah. helping practice owners? Sure. Well, for me, I, um, PT, uh, went into private practice pretty early, about a year and a half out of school. I did that for a while, loved it. Right. I grew it. I started working about 18 hours a week treating patients and um, a couple hours um, managing. And, and then I started sneaking out in the afternoon with patients who own businesses to help them grow their business. And one day I decided to sell my practice and did. And then I started a consulting company in Florida and we started in a garage and we grew to delivering training on marketing and management to over 2,600 private practice owners but I didn't start out as a very successful practice owner. That's for sure. I, I stumbled. I made a lot of mistakes. I had a receptionist who was very good at reading magazines and I wasn't very good at telling her to stop, you know? So I was a flying therapist who didn't have one. Right. So I sought some help. I got some advice and some consulting and training and, and it got me to realize that I own a business and I hire staff and the success of the business and my staff's future depends on me. And I needed to know how to, to lead and steer. So that's when I started to put my arms around management, marketing, the sides of, of practice that aren't related to patient care and found that I truly enjoyed it. And from there, I started to, I would have patients own businesses and they'd own a dry cleaner. And I go, how do you get clothes clean without getting it wet? You know, and they'd say, well, this is what you do. And I said, well, do you mind if I come over and, and help you? Will you help me what? do it. I go, no, no, I'll help you grow the business. Right. So I started sneaking out with every patient owned a business. And if one of my therapists was treating a patient who owned a business, I would go over and yak, 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 yak at them and find out, can I go over in the afternoon? And I'm like learning how these guys operate. And I'd give a little advice here or there. And then finally one day I told my wife, I think I'm going to sell the practice. And um, she was, what are you going to do? I think I'm going to start a consulting company. So that's what I did. And I took that and we grew it. And um, we had an office in Clearwater, Florida, Seattle, and Vancouver. And then I got kind of lured away in private equity. And it looked like a good opportunity to get into a vertical, bringing in physical therapy practices. And we grew to like 
187 locations in like 15 months and as a VP of operations, which I learned a tremendous amount. And it was, um, it, it's such a great opportunity for, for a certain practice at a certain time. You know, I liked the private practice world. And so I left that in 2019 to start PT practice success. And so what I do is I, I, um, have, uh, coaching programs and I go to guys' offices and I help get the team on board. And, and, um, as far as the pancaking of care, the thing I noticed is that when I would go into practice, I always look for where the money is, you know, and people think it's all like, I just need the right Facebook campaign. And I'm like, it's actually already in your practice. You know, I've had clients go, how do I get to 200 visits? How many more new patients do I need? I go, actually none. You just need to manage the ones you've got. Right. So what I look at is sometimes as the volume starts going up in the practice, the therapist starts stretching out the care instead of seeing them three times a week, it's two times a week. And then maybe it's 1.5 times a week. And what happens is that stretches out and I call, call that pancaking care. It's stretching it out. And that's one of the areas I like to focus on. So in terms of that specifically, the, the pancaking of care, that's basically lengthening or dragging out the plan of care. So if someone has back pain that maybe could get better in four weeks, but if there's not enough capacity in the schedule or if they're stretching out that plan of care. So instead of even if they weren't even doing two times a week, if they're saying, oh, well, you know, you're we can only fit you in once this week or something like that, then it's stretching out that plan of care, which then is probably lengthening a, a bunch of things, right? So it's sure. it's lengthening the time from where that patient is getting that success, that story, right? Like the the success story and the outcome that they're looking for and maybe living with those symptoms longer, taking longer to get the Google review, the thing, you know, the, the online reputation type stuff. How else does that affect the practice? Well, it affects the practice in a lot of ways, the least of which is financial. So if you're running at 1.5, um, average patient frequency, meaning a patient comes in 1.5 times per week. If you actually increase that number to 2.0, just like a patient comes from 1.5 to 2.0, what you've done is you've increased your collection, your, your revenue potential by 33% each week. Your patient visits will go up 33% and people will go, well, you just need more new patients. It's like, well, Actually, if you quit stretching it out, it'd be better. And then there was a study by one of my former clients up in um, Rhode Island, um, Elite Physical Therapy with Michael Newland, Jason Harvey. And then what they did is they did a study of a, a GABA patients to find out like what was the ideal patient frequency that ended up with the best results, the least amount of attrition and success at the end. And it was like when you ran 1.67, which I was like... I, I'd be happy to see people start at that number, usually much lower. But at 1.67, only like 68% of patients have a successful discharge where they complete the plan of care. They write a testimonial, you know, it's a handshake completion type of thing. Whereas if you ran at 2.0 to 2.1, it was something like 96, 97% of the patients who actually went on that level of frequency got an outstanding outcome, uh, wrote a testimonial. It was... It was amazing, right? So it's like people say, well, I'm going to stretch out the care because the copay is high. Well, their body is the same, right? So if you're going to stretch out the care because the copay is high, then you're going to have more of an out-of-pocket out expense to, excuse me, you're going to have, if you're stretching out care because the copay is high, you might be saving the patient some money, but they're going to drop off the grid before they're done. They're going to be living with the symptoms longer, right? Like more of their 
activities of daily living are going to be affected and impaired with whatever their pain, discomfort, dysfunction, whatever it is that they're, whatever impairment that they're living with. Um, And then in terms of when we're talking about like exit strategy, succession plan, um, this whole mergers and acquisition space that is kind of like partly the theme of this show. So then for those practice owners, if they are engaging in this type of would you call it, is it, is it more of a behavior? Is it more of like a scheduling behavior and ingrained behavior? But the more that they're doing this pancaking, it could actually be affecting their, their value as a practice, like their valuation. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I was involved in PE, you know, one of the things I would do is I would go into would be practices that we were looking to bring on and find, you know, change that stuck in the sofa of the, in the sofa of the practice, so to speak. Right. Like, okay, well, that's an easy flip and that would generate a quarter million. That's an easy flip. That'll generate about 200,000. I would just see this stuff, right? So what I do as a, as a consultant and a coach is I try to look at a practice from a point of view is it will sell one day, right? It's like you're either going to die with your boots on or you're going to sell it to somebody or you're going to give it to your kids. I mean, it's pretty much, you don't have like a dozen options. It's just a couple, right? And so when you want to, you want to optimize the practice as best as, as you can. And you want to make the practice more valuable than, than the owner. It's like, I'm buying that thing. Yeah. Whatever you can go. Right. Kind of thing. You want to create that kind of scenario. And so you look at we're missing money. So when I would look at a practice and be involved in that, in the deals, you know, I'd look at those things and go, okay, this guy's got a higher than normal cancellation rate. Visits to discharge is a little bit, tiny. His average frequency is 1.3. It's like, okay, we could just blow on this practice and it'll grow. Right. So, but, um, most of the time you can look at that and say, well, gosh, all the therapist schedules are filling up. That looks really good. And you go, my gosh, everybody's really busy. And then you look at the lost income of those other areas. And so if we can go, well, you know what, let's handle all of that from day one, moving forward and hire up the team. And then we grow. And then when it comes time to, you know, as you know, in PE, it's like, if they're looking at a trend like this, they're going to predict a trend going down, right? If they see it going up, they might predict it going up, right? But if they see it going flat, it's like, okay, well, I know where you stand. So, um, the, so my, and then also I'm trying, I try to get the owner to treat less and others to treat more. And commonly the practice owner is the most known guy across to all the doctors and, he usually outproduces all of his staff. And the pre-interview you mentioned, make your practice more valuable than you. And the only That's way right. to do that is to consider taking on less of a patient facing role or patient treatment role, maybe working more on the business rather than working in the business or working on the practice and not in the practice. Right. And absolutely. Be working on the practice and less in it. But, you know, also there's many things that a practice owner will do that will, um, and maybe it's ego, maybe it's fear or whatever, but all the doctors know the owner. Nobody knows his staff. The practice has a website. It has his mug on it. He's got 15 other staff. Nobody's pictures on the website, right? Yep. Seen, and, seen that. Yeah. Yep. You see it like, is this guy big or small? He's got four <laughs> clinics. So he's just one man. I don't know how he does it. Yep. So, so the, he's doing all these things to make himself important. And so, you know, when you go in and, you know, you start looking at the deal, you go, okay, well, certainly there's a P&L and what's the EBITDA and what's the potential multiple off of that. And 
everybody does the same thing, you know, but then you go, okay, what could possibly give you another half turn or quarter turn on your EBITDA, right? Well, it would be you not treating, right? Good growth trajectory over a period of time that you're maximizing the patient experience, not over treating, but maximizing the patient experience so that the patient stays through the plan of care and not drifts off, right? That you have an active internal referral campaign that patients are, that are referring their friends and family, you know, and this is how we do it, right? And that maybe you all have somebody else who represents the clinic as a salesperson going out and shaking hands and kissing babies when it comes to doctors instead of the, the owner putting his mug in front of physicians, right? So if you're a good clinician and you, you're an owner and you're the one who always talks to the doctors, the doctor sends his patients to you, not your clinic. They want you to treat the patient. And that's a mistake. So when I had my practice, I had a salesperson that would go out and, you know, talk to front desk and meet doctors and doctors didn't even know if I was a man or a woman because Sean is a man or, or a woman's name, you know? So stop looking at me that way, Dave. So, but the, <laughs> but you know, Sean is a man or a woman's name. So they didn't know, or if it even existed. So when, when the doctors would ask Linda, you know, is it possible I could meet Sean would occasionally happen. She would just say, her standard action was Sean does everything humanly possible not to meet with physicians. And like, what, why? He usually finds her in the waiting room and he's in the waiting room and the doctor's not really interested. So, and then I would end up meeting a doctor, but the bigger point, when I sold my practice year, many years ago, sold to health South. So, um, before health South had trouble. And so, um, I sold to health South. And when I came in, I actually worked three days on the exit. So I wasn't locked down for five years or two years or even two months, just three days, just to turn over. Cause I had an operations guy who ran the day to day at a marketing team at a good, strong admin base. And all I was doing was steering the ship, which that corporate would take that over and let me leave. So I left in three days. I remember when the, I was going to do the deal, I wasn't going to stay. And the guy was looking at the final documents after about uh, six, seven months or whatever, going back and forth. Right. He says, well, Sean, how long do you plan on staying after the deal is done? And I went, you mean when I got my check? And he goes, yeah. I go, oh, I don't know, man. I think the banks close it too, you know? Uh, yeah, make sure that money got wired in and, you, and yeah. you refresh your bank account. And once you saw that, you were out. I was out. <laughs> but I'm not saying that, that's not always the best deal. And I, I did take a little bit of a beating because I wasn't going to stick around. But um, but I didn't leave Health South with a bad clinic that was going to crumble without me being there. And that's important, you know? And if so... Guys, I don't know about you, Dave, and the people that you talk to, but, you know, I think as, as you get older, like me, you end up talking to guys who are older like me, right? So I talk to a lot of guys that are like looking to kind of exit in the next couple of years. And, and every one of them is thinking, I'm going to get a check and walk out. And they've got a practice that will not hold up to that. And so it's could be a field day for guys that are in the acquisition game. You know, if you develop a good training program for the clinical director who's left behind, make him better, make him stronger. Yeah. Be a fire sale, unfortunately. Yeah. So any practice owner that's listening now, if they wanted to take a check and be out of the practice after maybe not as uh, as three three days, days, but, but typically, you know, buyers and corporate buyers and, you know, these chains, they want, like you said, they want the practice owner to stay there for 
maybe another year or two, sometimes even more. And it really comes down to the the financial strength of the practice, right? And how much of the the management is in place and the processes and everything is systematized and there's SOPs and all that. And if a lot of those things are not in place, then the owners have to stay on after selling some or all their practice, right? Oh, sure. Sure. And the owner will, you know, if he wants out earlier, then we're going to, there's a price to pay for that, you know? And if he sticks around a longer period of time, he might decide that I really should have taken my money and run. And then he doesn't end up becoming a good employee. Right. So there's, there's all kinds of factors in the game, but if you want to have the most options as a practice owner, and you're not ready to flip a switch, think with the idea how do I make the practice so valuable without me that I can at least have the conversation if I want to have it uh, about like, you know, I'd like to live, exit in six months, you know, right. and have, have a, a future buyer go, let's take a look, you know, who do you got? I got John, John's a rock star. All the doctors know him. He's on all, all he's all over our website. He does all our blogs. Here all the videos are of John. All right. And John's a small percentage owner and he's got some skin in the game and he's a good leader right? Great. Let's talk to John, you know? And so now Bob say he's the top guy. And then there's John who looks really good. So they go, you know, we could do this deal and not necessarily, you know, beat him up on the deal because he's created his protege. You don't have to create the protege when you buy him. He's already there. Right. So, you know, that takes some, that takes some planning. It doesn't, you didn't flip that switch overnight. That's what I would do if I was thinking of, um, well, that's what I did, but it, that's what I would do if I was in that age group where I want to walk in a couple of years and I'm not ready to put it on the block right now. I want to circle back one more thing on the pancaking of care. So sure. you mentioned that, let's just say there's more of the plans of care is being stretched out and maybe there's not enough room on the schedule. Maybe they're almost at full capacity. So is that a signal to the practice owner that they need to be, and you mentioned hiring. So then if they mention you mentioned hiring, so then they should be in a hiring mode as opposed to their status of just treating patients and they're not really thinking about growth, right? So like if they're yeah. at, at that point of stretching out the plans of care, it is when would be a signal to a practice owner that the schedule's at full capacity? Maybe the signal is they're just measuring the visits per week per case, right? So if if they're at is that is that the visits per week per case, the one point five or the one point six seven on the low end one point two. Yeah. So if, if they're measuring that, and no, first of all, the practice owners, many that are listening, they might not even be measuring that. So the first thing I guess in terms of action steps would be taking a look at that. And then if they find that number, would that be a signal for hiring? Is that more of the the signal for hiring? Yeah. And combining that with capacity and what they have available in their, their schedule. Right. You would look at a couple of levers, right? You'd pay attention to one would be that frequency and you kind of get in a mindset, like we're always going to run that at two. So to be at two, every new eval, I'm going to see three times a week for the first two weeks before we start weaning them down. You get that into a mindset that everybody does that. If you can keep that solid, you'll know when you need to hire someone. So then you'd look at what I'd call like the clinic efficiency, which would be the, the number of slots that are available, the percentage of the slots that are filled. And so when you start running at like 85, 90% filled or more, and it's steadily rising up, that's when you're going to place the brick on your practice. So when everybody's schedule gets pretty much like this, this is where the brick will lie. 
they'll place that brick on the practice and they'll stretch out the frequency. So if you drive the frequency and then as soon as you start clipping above 85% efficient with the practice, you go hard and heavy to find a therapist. You put a therapist in because you, you're not going to let that average frequency slip. If you do that, your practice takes off. And also when you look at handling the average patient frequency, that means the frequency they show up, not the frequency you schedule. So if you want them to show up twice a week, you got to schedule them more than twice a week. So um, as an average, right? So it blows up a lot of things. So if one's running about a 1.3 and they start to dial it up to 2.0, you're going to see all the weaknesses. PTs that can't sell a plan of care, right? That's patient-directed care, right? Patients who come up and let's make a deal at the front desk, right? And a receptionist who falls for it. Patient says, my copay is too high. What am I supposed to do, right? Practice that doesn't know how to solve payment plans. You know, all these things start to show up when you dial up one simple statistic. And then you just handle one at a time. You knock them all down and the practice runs a whole new level. If there's a practice owner that's listening and they have, you know, one or more staff members that will say, oh, well, well, Sean, not every case needs, you know, two or three visits a week or, you know, they give some of those either objections or, or excuses or whatever. How do you kind of handle those or coach practice owners to to kind of face some of those things? Yeah, yeah I basically just define the word average. Right. So it's not every patient is coming two, three times a week. It's just the average, right? So, you know, most patients are not going to be harmed by seeing them more frequently and then winding them down. Now, if a person's got a hangnail, come on, now we're talking about ethics, right? So, but you know, one of the things I would say is like, if a patient has like, I don't know, bad insurance or a high copay and the therapist sees the patient one time a week because of that, and if the patient has good insurance or a low copay or not worried about it, and we see them two and a half times per week, which one's unethical? Is it unethical to see a patient one time a week because they have bad insurance? I, I think it, you could argue either way. You can argue either way. That's right. So it's like, you know, is it unethical to see them this often or this often, right? But if you look at like, well, what gets us the best outcomes? Okay. So you start looking at the study. So I got approached by a company and I'm still in, in some negotiation with a company from, from India that has a very large um, spine rehabilitation program they want to bring into the U.S. And they, and, and what was interesting is talked to the CEO, he flew out to, to have a chat. And, and he said that after analyzing 165,000 cases, they found the average frequency that got the best outcomes was 2.1. And he goes, it is amazing that you figured that out. I go, I didn't figure it out, but a client of mine figured it out, right? <laughs> but, but he goes, it's, it is 2.1. When we saw the patient, we played around with frequencies, but we did 165 cases and 2.1 is the sweet spot in terms of outcomes. So if you go, okay, as a clinician, Okay, if that is the best outcome, why don't we get into that, right? Evidence-based or whatever, we get it, we, we, we get into that. If we start doing anything less than that or more than that necessarily based on insurance or whatever, um, we're serving the wrong master, right? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, with my wife, Annie, is a physical therapist. And if I... Was my wife, tree, There we go. So, yeah. so we treat each other, right? So like I'm yeah. thinking of our, you know, scenarios in regards to this, which is like, we're talking about this scenarios, like treating patients in a practice. But yeah. when I'm injured from weekend baseball or whatever, 
we don't think about frequency. It's just like, you know, this happened. This is the area. Evaluate, treat, whatever. And it's like, treat as much as possible. I mean, I obviously, we're not talking about money and copays and all that because we're treating each other as spouses. But it's like, the soonest we can treat each other from a new acute injury, the better, right? Okay. And that yeah. that that kind of foreshadows the that that's when we get better is like if we can treat each other as soon as possible and like almost daily in the beginning, which yeah. kind of reflects back on the opposite of instead of pancaking, it's like we're front loading like treatment yeah. as much as possible that's in the right. beginning. Yeah. So it kind of shows even for us clinically, which is anecdotally, but like the opposite of pancaking is like as early as often as needed as clinically appropriate and needed in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you just kind of get on top of it and, and it really isn't a big deal. I mean, you know, I've got some clients where I've, like you find the objection. What's the objection? Usually the objection is I don't know how to have a conversation about money as a clinician. You really shouldn't, but in their mind, they're thinking, gosh, this, I, this patient has a $50 copay. Have them come in three times a week. Okay, we'll solve that care credit or do something like that to solve it. But, you know, when, when you actually do that, you know, the patient will follow along. And so I've had, I've got guys that'll say, okay, I'm, I'm going to want, no, I'm probably going to want to see you about five times a week. And the patient will go, oh, five times a week. She goes, no, let's just do three times a week for the first two weeks. And they go, okay. <laughs> so, so, so it's like it, instead of a price anchor, it's like a frequency anchor. Yeah, it's a frequency anchor, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, okay, we should see you every day five times a week, right? Like, oh. Okay. You know what? I get it. Let's just do three, right? Versus, you know, let's do two to three. I, I don't know. Let's do one, right? Kind of thing. So yeah. I'm not recommending that. It's just somebody told me they, were, they had a staff member that was doing it. And that's how, that's his uh, secret sauce. It's been working for him, right? But, you know, I, I think one of the things that we have going on in this profession is we, and we all know it, you know, the salary demands are super high. You know, the, the school loans is crazy. The economy's nuts, you know, and yet we, cannot push our expenses onto our consumers, our patients, because we, especially in an insurance model, it's not like you can, uh, you know, because of the supply chain or whatever, um, I'm going to charge you more money for your physical therapy. You can't. So you can only make it up with efficiency and, and really maximizing that experience. For, so if every new patient, let's make it simple, you get a hundred dollars visit, and so you've got every patient is drifting off one visit to two visits earlier than if you manage them well. So let's say that's $200 and just multiply that by the number of new patients and multiply that by the number of weeks in a year. And okay, you know, it, it, how, how bad does it have to be before one would take a proactive stance, you know? For sure. The number could be really large, really quick really large, really quick. And that's one of the things I do is I, I analyze the practice and, and look at like six key areas where practice tends to lose money. And then I identify like, which one can we move a lever the easiest and make the practice make more money. And everyone thinks it's new patients and it's definitely always on the list, but usually, and you know, if you have a 200 visit practice, it's not easy to find about anywhere between 150 to $300,000 of this lost income from poor management or case management. When you're advising clients and, and practice owners to then you're training their staff or the practice owners training their staff, do you advise them to give the patient, the new evaluation patient that they just evaluated, giving that patient a fixed number of visits to expect to schedule out and, and complete in order to get the outcome that they're looking for? Or is it like schedule 
three times a week and you just week to week. How do you advise around that? Yeah, I think it all just, it all varies a little bit, but I always like to have two weeks ahead. Sometimes, you know, a patient schedules out four or five weeks and then, you know, receptionist is busy changing the dates around because the patient has a conflict, but try to get them to lock down at least two weeks in the future. So it's always floating two weeks. So every time they come in, the receptionist is looking to see if Bob is scheduled for the next two weeks and you just, you know, you schedule them out. And so that's really kind of how I look at it. And then, you know, another thing too, is like, you know, when you have a patient, the patient has one goal, pain relief. I mean, that's, he's not there to improve his function. Generally speaking, in most outpatient PT practices, he or she's there for pain relief. Now, if you, I can't imagine you have a pain, your plan of care says, get the patient out of, of pain, the end, right? I'm sure there's other rehab goals that we have besides whatever that is, right? So one of the things I talk to uh, clients about, like you have to sell the plan of care and then you have to get the patient into a mindset that pain relief is not when you quit. And so when you have the pain in the wall, it becomes greater than the pain in the back. The patient starts making secret discharge plans and you're not involved in that. So you want to be involved in that. So what I tell clients, excuse me, what I tell clients is you say to the patient, Bob, we have a four-phased approach to care. When you come in, we're going to work. pain is a primary reason that you've come in here today. And so in phase one, we're going to focus on getting your pain a little better managed. As that starts to improve, we're going to move you into phase two. And in phase two, we'll just be working on some mobility and flexibility without aggravating your pain as much as possible. As you progress through that, we move you into phase three. And in phase three, we're looking at some strengthening and core stability and and those types of things. And in phase four, we add a little bit of aerobic activity, not necessarily making you into a middle distance runner or anything, but just so that you have the aerobic capacity to function during work or sports or normal ADL or whatever. And they go, oh, okay. So then when the patient would come in the door, the receptionist would say, hey, Bob, what phase are you in? Right? Oh, I'm in phase, I'm moving into phase three. So that's like strengthening, of course. So the patient's got a a four-phase mindset versus a um, pain relief mindset. So then the Mm. therapist is doing something with the patient, say joint mobilization, for instance, they say, okay, well, this is a phase two activity here, Bob, because I'm going to get some range of motion in your shoulder. And I know it sounds really bizarrely weird because every therapist has their way. That's usually quite good, but sometimes they they don't cement it into the patient that there's a journey and there's four phases to it. And that helps keep the patient through the plan of care. Right. Yeah. And tying those things back to their life and the things that they want to do, like work on your shoulders so that you can get back to, you know, overhead snatch at CrossFit or whatever, like yeah. doing this thing, but I'm relating it back to the thing that you really care about. Cause you don't really care about a shoulder mobilization at all. No, no, but you care what it allows me to do. Right. So, right. And that's all you kind of tying into, you know, from a coding perspective, from a therapeutic activities perspective, you're, you're tying it into a functional activity that, actually, generally speaking, reimburses better than therapeutic exercise, right? So it works. There we go. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Sean, I think that's a perfect place to stop. That was awesome to, having you on. In terms of the audience reaching out to you, they, a lot of them I probably assume already know you and, and know where they can uh, connect with you. But if not, Sean's website is ptpracticesuccess.com. And any other place, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or email address, any other place for uh, the audience to reach out to you directly? That totally works. LinkedIn works. Facebook works website works. You know, I try to be found. So hopefully somebody can find me. Right. And I, I've seen your Facebook ads. So they're, they're probably being targeted with your Facebook ads as well. So they'll see you. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, Dave. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Truly appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. If you found this valuable, send this episode, copy and paste this link of this episode, send it, text it, email it to a friend, colleague, someone that you met at PPS or some APTA event, or maybe that you went to physical therapy school with, share it out to one colleague that is business focused. Maybe they're interested in these types of topics. If you do, we would really, really appreciate that. Rate, review, and subscribe, and that way you'll be notified when future episodes are published here on the show. And again, you can check us out, Dave Kittle Show, on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. That's it for Dave Kittle Show. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.